Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Hi, I'm Stephen Collar, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I'm joined once again by Stephen Kotler, who's been on the program before to talk about his book, The Art of Impossible. Now we're going to talk about NAR Country, Growing Old and Staying Rad. Excited to have this conversation. It's a book that literally, as we were recording, it was getting ready to come out. It's just out now as of the release of this episode. And if you don't know who Stephen Kotler is, he's been studying human performance for over 30 years and has taught hundreds of thousands of people at all skill levels, age groups, and walks of life how to achieve peak performance. And here's the thing. This book addresses whether or not this owned advice could work for him. Again, another great conversation with Stephen. I can't wait to share it with you, so let's not wait any longer. Here's my conversation and a productive one at that with Stephen Kotler. There we go, Stephen. Good to have you back on the program to talk about something that, uh, you know, we talked about the art of impossible before. And this, your, your your latest work, when I got notice of what it's going to be about, as somebody who's pushing 50 <laughs> at this point, which is still young to a lot of people, but it's be, I'm increasingly becoming the older person in the room. It was as I looked at what you were working on, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a fascinating discussion because I I feel like I am somebody who is, yes, pushing 50, but my brain doesn't feel anywhere near that. And I think that's a challenge that a lot of people face. And you're you're running this experiment. I mean, you did. You run the experiment on yourself to tackle things despite getting older that maybe most people getting – not maybe. Most people getting older would not even dare – try to do. So let's get into that. First off, what, why, why was it like, I need to eat my own dog food? Was that the whole, ex- the very beginning of the genesis of, 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 of NAR country? Was that the genesis no, of it? Believe it or not, the genesis of NAR country is a story that's actually not in the book. So my wife and I run a hospice care dog sanctuary and we have for 20 years. And there has been a movement in canine health 
to double canine lifespan. And there's high tech stuff going on. I've got friends who are working on synthetic biology, you know, end to one cancer meds and really fancy stuff. And then there's sort of uh, more lower tech or productive tech, which is a lot of what my wife and I had done. But what we started to see just with our dogs long before I got to this topic is that by making a handful of, of, of like big lifestyle changes and some nutrition change, a couple other things, we could get five. We, we like in the work we do, it's always about the worst of the worst. We like if you're a, you know, a, a chihuahua with one eye, three legs, late stage cancer, heart disease, mange and bad gas and an abusive past, you're our dog. Like mm. that's what we like to work with. And so all our dogs go to the vet first and they, they come to with us like these dire warnings. Oh, don't get too attached. This dog is going to live a month, maybe two. And over 20 years of doing this work, we started to realize that like once we got our healing protocol down, a lot of it's based on flow and, and things like that, that you're pretty familiar with. Our dogs were living five, six, seven more years than the vet. The vet said they'd be dead in two months and they would live seven more years. And not just like sort of dribble along. We take the dogs in the backcountry for five mile hikes every day up and down mountains. So like these dogs were thriving. And so it started with, okay, wait a minute. There are interventions possible that can like massively increase the health and longevity in canines. And isn't that interesting? That was literally sort of like where it started. I wrote about this work in my book, uh, uh, a small furry prayer. And, um, it started there and then it sort of built into humans accidentally. And uh, the story, you know, how I started running the experiment, I, I lost my mind. Like, it, 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 you know, for sure. I mean, I had, I, I had most of a lot of my books have come from fits of madness. That's mm. not all that unusual on a, on, a, on a certain level where you just have a really crazy idea. But like the story at the heart of the book was, for a bunch of different reasons, this is where it started. But I decided to see if I could learn to park ski at age 53. Now, park skiing is the discipline in skiing that involves jumps, boxes, wall rides, rails. It, for about a dozen biological factors that we can go into, it is considered really challenging for anybody over the age of 35. By 45, it's like you don't go near it in your 50s. No, people thought I was crazy. Right. But there's a whole bunch of new work coming out of three fields, flow science, which is sort of, you know, where, I, where I've spent my career, mm -hmm. uh, embodied cognition, which is the idea that our brains don't just live in our heads, right? They're distributed through our bodies and in the environment. And it directly, that embodied cognition is right next to flow science. Flow has an embodied trigger. So like I've, I've been working in that field for a while. And network neuroscience, which is another field, you know, neural dynamics, basically. Um, there's been a bunch of new findings in these three fields today. Wait a minute. If these findings are right, it should be possible for older adults to make a lot of progress in seemingly impossible activities like park skiing. But it was all stuff done in labs and research papers. And I was like, all right, well, let's like, let's put it either. I'm going to go end up in the hospital having more surgery. And that would be a terrible failure. Right. <laughs> or this might work. And I, and what here's where things got weird. We, I, to judge my progress, I made a list of 20 tricks I wanted to learn. It was essentially a list that got me from zero. I had no experience, which is where I started. I was a good skier, but no experience part of skiing mm -hmm. to uh, intermediate. 
And I'll talk about why. We'll, we'll talk about where this came from in terms of like peak performance aging in a second. But like there was a reason I wanted to get to intermediate. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I thought if it takes five years, whatever, right? Like I'll be a radically different skier five years from now. Cool. That'll be great. And what ended up happening is I got there in a single season. And not only did I teach myself how to park ski in a single season, I also as a big mountain skier, which is the thing I've been doing for a while, I skied the rowdiest lines of my entire life in the same season. And that was crazy. My ski partner, who was a actual former sponsored park skier, but much younger than me, but he had gotten really injured and stopped. He had came back to the sport when I came into it and started applying the same stuff I was applying. And he made crazy amounts of progress. Like what I thought was going to take five years for me, took a season for me and he was making crazy progress. So this is not in the book, but uh, uh, I can announce it. Uh, We're starting to announce it now. This past season, we took all these same ideas and we took a group of 17 older adults, ages 30 to 68. And we used these same basic principles that I could talk about what they are and how we did it um, and taught them how to park ski or snowboard. And most of the people in our study group were, they weren't even expert skiers. They were like intermediates and things like that. Nobody had any park skiing experience. And um, what was wasn't just exciting was was how fast they learned. It's that by the time they were done, everybody had a radical shift in what they thought was possible in the second half of their lives. And that was really right. Like park skiing is one thing, but it's there are certain things about park skiing or park snowboarding and action sports in general that are actually really quite interesting for peak performance aging reasons. But the whole point was what it actually unlocked in in, in people in the, in the second half of our lives. Yeah, it was like the impetus. Like if you could do this, imagine what else you could do. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is you didn't put a time limit on yourself. Like you said, you did it in the season, but you kind of said like, if it happens in five years, great. Like it, you're as someone who has studied flow, like that's, you know, that's your thing. I would think that friction would play a massive role in, in initially getting this going, or at least for people who, are, you know, again, you said, you know, this kind of skiing is very challenging that in and of itself so would present itself as friction. So to me, this almost seems like it's like the ultimate push from, okay, how do we get, how do we, how do we use, how do we get flow from a place where there's going to be an extreme level of friction. And that's, that's something I'm curious about. Yeah, it's a great question. And you actually went to write the heart of what we did. So in flow, flow states have triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow, right? You know this. And the most famous, the challenge skills balance, which we talked about on the last episode. Yep. Um, right. And, and the idea here is flow follows focus. So like, so, the state only really shows up when all our attention is in the right here, right now, in the task at hand, present moment. And the idea with flows uh, trigger the challenge skills balance is we pay the most attention to the task at hand, to the now, to what we're doing. When the challenge of the task slightly exceeds our skill set, we want to stretch but not snap. So a bunch of years ago, Miyai Chick sent me high, the Godfather of Flow Psychology, and a Google mathematician sat down and they tried to calculate. What's that exact ratio between challenge and skills? And they did a back of the envelope calculation and they came up with what Mike called a made up number, 4%. It's not a real number, just a good metaphor. We took that good metaphor and actually ran a bunch of studies on it. And it's really freaking hard to test. And I don't think anything we learned is definitive, but it was damn accurate. So for most of us under normal conditions, 
we pay the most attention to the task at hand when that challenge is about 4% greater than our skills. So that's stretching, but not snapping, right? You don't want to overload yourself. Too much fear is going to block flow, but not enough stimulation. You're bored. You're not paying enough attention to the now. It turns out in older adults, and by older, uh, this could mean over 30, depending upon mindset and a bunch of things, right? Um, and old is very much, this is one of the things that, that it, it's very clear in the book. And one of the things that we've learned over and over again, and, and make me come back to this in the conversation in a second, we're not going to linger here, but mindset is so much of the ball game when it comes to peak performance aging. We can come back there, but the mindset of old can set in as early as like your 20s, right? But the point, uh, the point here is older adults have a much more shrunken challenge skills sweet spot. It's because of something known as allostatic load or allostatic overload. All the traumas, all the bad shit that happens in your life leaves scars in your nervous system. This is talked about as allostatic load. And one of the things it does is it shrinks the challenge skills sweet spot. So we went in with the, the foundation. The foundational idea was one inch at a time. Start with an established motor action plan, a movement that you can do 100% of the time with zero fear and no conscious interference. So, for example, with skiers, intermediate skiers, everybody can do a hockey stop. If you're right, like everybody knows how to do that. So that is a, if you take a hockey stop and sort of do it on a particular surface, you're moving into a grind which is an actual park skiing trick, right? So you can start with the hockey stop, this thing that beginner skiers learn how to do and build on it one inch at a time. And why are you doing that? Because even though you may feel like your old self, like you're the same athlete you were in your 20s and you prefer from a physical perspective, I'll go back to the physical stuff in a second, but from a physical perspective, you're probably much closer than you think you are. The mental stuff is, is, is a real challenge here. On the physical side, the one thing I want to I want to say really quickly, the older idea about aging, which is what you could call the long, slow rot theory, it's that our mental and our physical skills decline over time, and there's nothing we can do to stop the slide, is, uh, in a word, bullshit. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> utter nonsense. Like, it's utter nonsense. But what we now know is that all the skills that we used to think were were decline over time, they're use it or lose it skills. Mm. And- the, and you really have to use them to hang on to them. But if you do, you can hang on to uh, strength, VO2, mat, like all these physical skills that were supposed to decline over time. No, you can, you can hold on to it for a lot longer um, and even build on it than anybody thought possible. So the physical stuff is there, the shrunken challenge skill sweet spot. And what happens is, especially when you're learning something new, if you're not getting flow along the way, First of all, that's what underpins motivation and grit and all the things and keeps you coming back. It's miserable. And you're not flow accelerator, it's learning. So the most important thing has to be dropping into flow along the way. Also, people don't know this because they pay attention to the work that Chief Sent Me High did on, on, on flow. They don't realize that he spent half his career working on adult development. Mm. And flow is actually seen as one of, if not the major engine of adult development. It's what drives us for because it when we go through flow, because we have to push in our skills on the other side, we're a more complex person. We've got new skills, we're more adaptable, we're more, and because flow automatically expands 
empathy and right helps us see other people's perception we're a little wiser this is the mechanism of adult development here's the coolest thing i don't know if you know this or not but um wisdom is a is a is a neurobiological trait right it's a distinct thing we know what it is in the brain and flow the two things that flow amplify are expertise and wisdom right over time that's what gets built up by using the challenge of the sweet but both of them are neuroprotective against cognitive decline so if you want to stave off dementia and Alzheimer's, what are the, the, the best things you can do are have novel, challenging social experiences and outdoor environments. That's the physical side of it. And um, on the mental side, you, the reason you want to have those things is for lifelong learning to build up wisdom and expertise because those things are unbelievably neuroprotective against cognitive decline. And there's research going all the way back to the 90s that you know show you can have advanced signs of Alzheimer's in your brain upon autopsy and have exhibited none of the uh the signs of alzheimer's or dementia provided you've built up enough expertise and cognitive decline because it's how or, or wisdom is because of how it forms neural nets in the brain ever found yourself deep in a project your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away that's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life but what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because CrashPlan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast, so take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com timecrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. You know, one of the things that, as you were talking about this, I kept thinking about was cadence and pacing. Um, and I wonder, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, the importance of managing, it might not be the right word, but I'm going to use it anyways, like managing your pace or your cadence when you're trying to do, when you're trying to, you know, take on a challenge like this. So you mentioned like the hockey stop, right? Like it, it's, there's a repetitive nature to it. And obviously, depending on someone's age and expertise, like you mentioned, 
I'm imagining that pacing and cadence plays a role, right? So what's interesting here, the answer, yes, the answer that yes is, is the short answer, mm-hmm. um, but less than you think. And here's why. Okay. We, so if one of the, the secrets to peak performance aging, and this is sort of what our country was, is you want to engage in, this is a very, these are very specific things. These words mm-hmm. mean something and I'll, I'll define them afterwards. Dynamic deliberate play as much as you possibly can. So dynamic means it requires strength, stamina, balance, agility, and uh, uh, coordination. Mm-hmm. And those are very specific things. They're skill sets that all need to be trained. But if you want to amplify angiogenesis, which is the growth of new vasculature, and neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons, you want agile, coordinated movements as the most important thing. Move the brain is developed for movement purposes, right? It's to guide movement. That's what the brain evolved for. So to get the most out of our biology, this is the dynamic there. Deliberate play. So what you said is repetition, right? Yeah. This is what I'm coming off of. Deliberate, you're, you were talking about deliberate practice, right? Yep. Anders Ericsson's 10,000 hours do the same thing over and over with tiny incremental advancement, um, which is often how people walk up the challenge skills ladder. In older adults, you want, instead you want to replace deliberate practice with deliberate play. Deliberate play is often talked about as repetition without repetition. It means you do the same thing you just did, but just improv a little bit. And the improv, you can dial it up a notch if you're feeling brave and good and strong. Or to get to your question about timing, you can dial it way back down, right, if you're not. So it's cadence is important because you need recovery days, you need sleep, and you need a bunch of that stuff, of course. But it's really about how you sort of tune the challenge skills balance in real time based on this dynamic, deliberate, play-based approach, which is really what gets you farther faster. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. And it, led, okay. it leads me right to another question about circadian rhythms because I'm a night owl right now, and I know, I've noticed as I've gotten older, I'm still a night owl, but I'm not as much of a night owl. And I mean, I've talked to Dr. Michael Bruce and others about this when it comes to, mm-hmm. um, you know, cr- uh, chronotypes and as you get older, you naturally wake up earlier, like, and you want to go to bed earlier. How much of a role does that play in what you've discovered or, or the work that you, you've done in this book, particularly? Did, is it very, um, okay, so yeah, this is, I'd love let, to hear let me this. just let, Yeah, let me, let's, so one, two, couple things you should know. Sure. Thing one, most of the so-called memory decline is another myth of aging, right? right? It's not inevitable at all. Okay. And some enormous portion of memory decline decline is actually sleep disturbance because we do right you as you're right our chronotypes tend to shift and there there are there tend to be sleep disturbances now we are getting very good at sort of figuring out where those things are coming from and and we know you know sleep hygiene becomes really really important go to sleep at the exact same time wake up at the exact same time cold rooms dark rooms those things really really matter but where this gets interesting and where this feeds back into every the conversation we've just been having, one of the things about allostatic load um, and emotional regulation in general, if you are sleep deprived, the amygdala, which it governs also all our emotional responses, but really our fear responses, 
This is a crazy number, but it's, it showed up in studies. Like the first time I heard this number, I, I called bullshit. And I went back and I, like, it's, there's 20 years of studies to back this up. But I literally, the first time I heard it, I was like, there's no way that can be true. The amygdala is 60% more reactive when you're sleep deprived. That means you are 60% more emotionally unstable when you are sleep deprived. If allostatic overload is an issue in older adults, right, and shrinks the challenge skills sweet spot already, and you're going one inch at a time, it is really freaking hard to go one inch at a time if you're sleep deprived as well. Mm. Um, and so, as I said, some huge portion of what we think of as memory problems are, and cognition problems in older adults are actually sleep problems. And, it, and it's the same mechanism. And if you're Super sleep deprived, and you have a really hyperactive amygdala, it just becomes really hard to tune the challenge skills sweet spot, right? Like, where, right, when you're totally overloaded and exhausted and don't have any emotional resilience, like, how do you find that that becomes a really more complicated problem? So, um, it's really interesting. There's so yeah, from a cognitive level, I, there's another stat out there that I find really this is in much older adults, so like over 75. Um, 93% of, uh, and this, I'm taking this number out of uh, a book by neuroscientist, Daniel Levitin, successful aging. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's brilliant thicker on it. Um, 93% of cognitive variability in older adults is actually about having the wrong glasses, the wrong hearing aid. It's about our senses, not getting the right information, not about cognition. And the other stuff in cognition really appears to be about sleep. Um, so, uh, it, it, it really appears like if you sort of have the right like prosthetics, right, mm-hmm. and the and, and enough sleep, and you're doing the hard work for expertise and wisdom, lifelong learning, that work with flow, right? Um, you're probably not going to face any cognitive issues unless they're like disease related to something that you right um, later in life. And I don't and like Alzheimer's dementia. It's sure. really the it's really neat. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, I, I think it's really exciting. And what's really, you know, what's cooler is I have to say this firsthand experience and I've now put through a lot of different people through a bunch of different. So we took the ideas that were in the experiment and we turned them into a training, which we've now run with 300 people. I want to say okay. all, you know, most of them, most of them 50 and above or, or 40 and above. Um, though I will say, and, and, Peak performance aging starts young. I'm talking about 50 and above, but like the, the, the research is really fucking clear. There's shit you want to do in your, if you want to rock into your eighties and nineties and hundreds, you can. And interventions at any point matter. I mean, there's great data that shows you start exercising, even low level exercise. You're totally sedentary in your eighties and you start exercising, just like walking upstairs instead of taking the elevator, that kind of stuff. The, you, can, you can have drastic impacts on cognition, even at that end of the spectrum. Like I'm totally sedentary. I'm mm-hmm. in my eighties and I'm a, I'm a polypharmacy mess on 11 different, you know, whatever's um, even then it works, but like there's stuff you want to do in your twenties. There's stuff you want to do in your thirties, forties, fifties. And um, some of it makes aging a lot easier. And I'm going to make one point on this and I'm going to go back to your question. But one of the things that people don't know is when we enter our fifties, if you get it right, and I'll come back to the it, you gain access to legitimate cognitive superpowers, whole new levels of intelligence come online in our fifties, new levels of creativity, new levels of empathy, new levels of wisdom, um, 
new levels of uh, sort of uh, complex problem solving. There's all this stuff we get access to, but you only get access to it if you've passed through these certain thresholds of adult development. By 30, you got to solve the problem of identity. You got to know who you are in the world, right? By 40, you need match fit, a tight fit between your strengths and your values and what you do for a living or most with most of your time. By 50, here's a weird one. You have to forgive those who have done you wrong um, and forgive yourself. And if you don't, you can't gain access to the wisdom and the empathy that starts to come online, right? And then in your 50s, while you gain access to these superpowers, if you want to hang on to them, you have to counteract the natural risk aversion that comes with aging and the physical fragility that comes with aging, right? The physical fragility, you have to exercise, right? Like yeah. there's no, like, um, but then, and, and so it's, it's interesting. There's, there's stuff, there's real advantages that actually come to us. In fact, one of the origin stories of this book mm-hmm. was I had, so the superpowers of aging that I was talking about, this is predominantly the work of a man named Gene Cohn. He's often thought of as one of the big pioneers of peak performance aging. Uh, he was he's, he created, helped create the National Institute uh, for Mental Health and Aging um, in, in America in the 70s. He was the first psychologist to say, hey, wait a minute, I've been hanging out with older people doesn't seem like the long, slow rot is right. Like they seem mm. able to a lot more cognitive stuff. And by the way, the boomers are aging and we got to deal with this problem. So like, let's start studying successful aging, right? And he was the first guy and he's the guy who made all these discoveries um, about the superpowers of aging. And, you know, a bunch of our ideas, we used to think that there was no neurogenesis in the adult brain. We like a lot of, we just thought there was all this stuff that happened all that stuff got overturned. And when it got overturned, Gene Cohn went, okay, if that's not real, what is real? And he ran two of the largest studies he's ever done and sort of came out the other side with these, these superpower ideas. And I had learned about them and I was running around uh, talking to CEOs. This was after my book, Bold, came out. And I was mm-hmm. doing a lot of work going to CEOs. And they were talking about hiring. I kept finding myself in these conversations about hiring of all things. And which is a very, if you've ever run a company, you know, hiring is an enormously challenging problem. In fact, we were talking about it we were before talking we even got on the air, right? That's yep. actually <laughs> perfect segue here. We were talking about it earlier. So hiring is enormously challenging. And I was, and, and I kept, people kept saying to me, you know, my ideal employee for the 21st century, I need them to be creative because if they can't be innovative, I can't keep pace with the rate of change in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's really freaking hard to train creativity. It's really hard to hire for it. And he's like, and I also need empathetic people. Why? Because the mantra of 21st business, 21st century, is like customer-centric thinking. That's like, how do you take care of your customers? And inside, right, we, we want a culture of psychological safety and diversity. And like without empathy, none of those things are possible, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, well, wait a minute, like older adults go through the roof on empathy and go through the roof on creativity. Why aren't we hiring older adults in droves? Like the, the data is really clear. And I got, so I spent a couple of years asking people this question and, and doing some research. The answers I got overwhelmingly were risk aversion because it doesn't matter how creative people get. If they're risk averse, they're not going to implant the creativity in the company, right? So that was a problem. It was, it, and the second one was physical fragility. They didn't want the time off. That they were worried that people were going to take too much time off or not have the energy to work as hard. And 
Um, none of those things are true, right? Yeah, you can train risk aversion is, is trainable physical fragility. All these things are trainable. So a lot of like, even though I ran an experiment in like park skiing, I sort of ran a business experiment. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Like if I can learn how to park ski in my fifties, we can solve the physical fragility issues and the risk aversion issue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's one of the things that I think is most exciting is I think we have, you know, the most underutilized workforce ever. Um, and, the, you know, everybody, every, you talk to anybody who's in successful aging, healthy aging, peak performance, any of the variables, what's the number one thing to have a successful older adulthood? Don't retire. Yeah. Number one, right? Don't retire. It's a disaster. Um. Let's go back to the principles that you discussed when you were working with the experiment with people, the performance uh, that you had, you said there was 12 of them, I think, right? Is that what it was? Or there was a series of them that you put people through? There was a series of them. So it started with, so let me, the idea was go one inch at a time. Oh, Mm -hmm. let let me tell you what I, it wasn't, it wasn't the 12 things. Let me, let me sort of walk you into, you asked for an origin story and there's dozens of origin stories. And I started with the dogs for you, but like, what kicked off the actual NAR experiment? Why did I lose my mind? What actually happened? Mm-hmm. There were a bunch of, like, I worked nine years without a break and I was planning on taking two months off to ski and COVID happened and I didn't get to ski because they closed the resorts. And I got like, that's what happened personally. But right before that happened, I had the last conversation I was ever going to get to have with me. I just sent me because he died a year after this. And um, I called him up to ask him a, a question about, to his history as an action sport athlete and flow. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what he basically said to me is, because I, 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 I was saying, Mike, you were a much more serious rock climber and mountaineer than you ever let on. But I was, I was like, I was reading an interview with you that was just translated out of Italian and you're naming famous Yosemite climbers from the 1960s. And you would have never known those names if you weren't. And I was like, so you got to tell me like, this flow stuff for you, this was really like, you were having these weird ass experiences as an action sport athlete, but you couldn't sell that to anybody. So you came up with this idea about, we'll study it in an artist. Tell me the truth. Is that, is that really what happened? And, and we have that, and there was this long pause on the phone. And I was like, oh my God, did I offend him? Right? Like, oh shit, what happened? <laughs> and he's 80 something. He's had a stroke recently. So he was already talking slowly. And I would, and all of a sudden he's just like, you got to be careful. And I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, you've got to be careful. Like, did, has Mike lost the thread? Like, did the stroke affect his brain? As well? <laughs> and if I, so I, I literally, there was like a minute long pause when he, before he says, you've got to be careful. And I'm like, what do I do? And I was like, I was like, okay, you just got to go right at it. I was like, Mike, what do I have to be careful about? Right? Like, and he's like, you do something your whole life or flow, like climbing mountains, get to be my age. Some days you can't even get out of bed. Forget about climbing mountains. He's like, you need a backup plan. You got to be careful. And what he was saying was one flow junkie to another. Have a backup plan for how you're going to get into flow in older adulthood because your primary method may be denied to you. And if this is the thing that brings you joy and life and meaning and all the things, right? He was literally, he wasn't, this was not an academic discussion. This was literally one of the nicest things he's ever done for me. It was like one flow junkie to another. Mm -hmm. Like, let me tell you something that nobody tells you about old age. And so I'm a diehard skier. Skiing's always been my primary flow activity. It's how I get in the flow. But as a big mountain skier, that means steep, gnarly, 
dangerous, fast lines right. all the time. That's the easiest way to flow. And I was like, you know, if I could learn how to park ski, I know that creativity is a flow trigger. And if you can creatively interpret terrain features, right, I could turn a beginner run into a slope style course. Slope style is that discipline in skiing that makes us jumps and wall rides and rails. There's the Olympics. If okay. you fly, lean, go, right? That's what slope style. And I was like, so if I do this, if I get from zero to intermediate, you know, in, I'm going to have a million more. I'm going to have a backup plan. Maybe it's not the final backup plan that Mike was talking about. Maybe I need to learn how to play piano to like put a backup plan behind my backup plan. But I was like, this makes a lot of sense to me. And that was where the experiment came from. It was came from Mike saying, you know, get a backup plan because you don't want to be a slow junkie in your 80s without a backup plan. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, great advice, man. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was sort of what kicked me into it. Um, so the goal that was why five years didn't matter. I was like, if I'm, you know, if it takes five years, great, I'm still going to have. And, you know, it, the funniest thing about it is it's early season here in, in Tahoe where I live. And um, we've had one snowstorm and the resorts are sort of not really open. And I was skiing over the weekend and they've only got two beginner runs open. And like all of my, everybody I know who's like a diehard big mountain skier, they wouldn't even go to the resorts because there were crazy crowds and whatever. And we went got on literally a beginner lift that nobody was on because it's a beginner lift. Everybody else is fighting for the like one other run. And we turned side hits into a slope style course, spent the day there, great flow state. Everybody else is, you know, miserable because it's crowded and there's yep. nothing rowdy open and, and whatever. And we had house at last. And I was like, and it was funny because it was two years earlier, almost to the date that I started the experiment, uh, the first time or three. Uh, and I was laughing because I was like, none of this would have been possible. This is why I did this. Mm -hmm. This is exactly why I did this, because this is going to be available to me as an athlete well into my 70s or 80s um, in the way that I'm doing it, which is kind of amazing. No, it's it's as we've been having this conversation, we're going to wrap up here in a minute. Um, my family wanted to go rock climbing and I've been like hesitant, really hesitant because of all the things that could happen. Right. Like, but we know that there's safety protocols and all that stuff. But the more we've chatted, the more I realize like that as somebody who's getting up, like is pushing. Yeah, so I, let me, let yeah, me just yeah, yeah. put it go ahead, go ahead. in a phrase. So if you want to summarize, how do you summarize peak performance aging in mm -hmm. a phrase? You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> the best way to stay young is to couple smart lifestyle choices and you sort of turn your life into a high flow blue zone. Yep. Right. With regular doses of challenging social creative activities that require dynamic movement in novel outdoor environments. That is literally in an English sentence, the entire, I mean, there's a bunch of neurobiology and physiology underneath that, but the best way to stay young is to couple smart lifestyle choices with regular doses of challenging social and creative activities that require dynamic movement in novel outdoor environments. That's exactly rock climbing. Let me tell yeah. you one reason. Sure. Okay, here's the core. Here's the, here's the thing you need to know. And, so one, blue zones, right? These exceptional longevity communities. There's a reason that most of the big blue zones in America are in action sports communities. They're in Summit Colony, Colorado. Action sports athletes are actually neuroprotective against cognitive decline. And here's why. Most neurogenesis, birth of new neurons, right? You want to drive your brain, you want a birth of new neurons, well, takes place in the hippocampus. Hippocampus is the map-making software in the brain. It's because we were hunter-gatherers. 
So you have to understand where you are in novel, unpredictable outdoor environments. That's what we evolved to do. So you put the brain in novel, unpredictable outdoor environments. You not only, so 700 neurons a day are born. And this is older adults, so like sure. above 75, right? About 700 a day are born. Um, you get more, that knob gets turned up if uh, you're in novel outdoor challenging environments because your brain goes, oh shit, you know, this is, this is what I evolved for. So this summit Colorado, Colorado is the longest lived community in America. And it's where Vail is and Aspen and Beaver Creek. People live 10 years longer there than any other county in America. And this is one of the main reasons why, because you moved to Summit County, Colorado, because you want to have novel, challenging social outdoor experiences on a regular basis. That's why you live there. And thus we see the results. So uh, beyond the takeaway of the fact that, you know, I'm going to start tapping into the backup, a backup plan. Cause you're right. Like, I mean, I, and I go for walks and things like that, but uh, by the time this episode airs, I'll have been rock climbing with my family at least once. If not, if so not by the way, and let me, <laughs> let me tell you something about your walks. Sure. I'm assuming you go for walks because you probably walk a dog. No, nope, I just go for no, a walk. You just go, okay. Walks are great for peak performance aging, unless you have bad knees or a bad lower back. Mm. And even then, I would say do this, just do it slowly. And again, once you get a weight vest. Mm, okay. There, there's like 11 different reasons. But if you get like, we have a partnership with Hyperware. Um, I like their stuff because it's very low profile. But we've used, I've used a couple others. One, um, exertion levels go up with the weight vest and you don't even notice. Yeah. So it's an easy way to take the. But the single best correlate for healthy aging is actually strong legs. Strong legs uh, are, first of all, it's the number one indicator of longevity, health, and cognitive preservation. Now, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Strong legs allow you to move around and have challenging social creative activities, right? Stuff like that. But, um, and bone density is an issue as we age. And if there's all kinds of studies um, that show that wearing a weight vest, just while you walk around, while you clean the house, while you go for a walk, improves bone density. But as I said, there's all these use it or lose it skills that have been trained over 50. Weight vest is the single best multi-tool I know of because it trains like seven or eight of them. And if you're doing weight vest hikes in the outdoors, um, and I talk about this a lot, as you as you know, in, in, in our country, right? There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a bunch of stuff on it, but um, the weight vest is a really cool addition. Um, and it's a way of one inching at a time. The problem, because you could there there you could start with a one pound, mm-hmm. add a pound. You know what I mean? You just yep. go up um, very practically and it allows you, it also trains balance automatically because if it's on the upper torso, you're, every time you take a step, your core muscles have to stabilize. So you're getting balance, you're getting agility, you're getting strength, leg strength, you're getting better stamina because it's a little harder to walk, right? So you're getting all these things with a very low impact thing. If you, if you add in weight vests and then start rock climbing on a regular basis, you're you were, you, that's a great, great, great plan. Steven, we could, as, as last time we could have kept, we could keep going, but we've got, we, we've, I want to be conscious of time and we'll get to do this again. So the book's called NAR country growing old, staying rad. Where can people, because as a, as of the airing of this, the book is now available. So where can people pick up the book? The book is now available. And, um, uh, 
it, you can get it anywhere. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. In fact, we hit the barnesandnoble.com bestseller list yesterday. And I know we're recording this a little early, but we, uh, the news has leaked out to some of my fans. They bought enough stuff. That <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know that was possible with pre-orders, but okay, it's yep. possible. That's amazing. My fans are amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, any bookstore, uh, narcountry.com is the website and nar is short for gnarly it's spelled g-n-a-r country is is as you stand and the reason by the way let me give you a yeah as, as a last thing yep. why is it called nar country what the hell am i doing right it's because the actual definition gnarly or nar uh, in action sports is high in perceived risk and high in actual risk which is a phenomenal description of our later years, high in perceived risk, high in real risk, and also sort of a phenomenal description of the gritty mindset that you need to sort of thrive during those later years. So that's why it's called Nar Country, but narcountry.com is the website or stephencollar.com, any bookstore. Stephen, this has been great. Uh, thanks again for having a productive conversation with me today. Mike, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Stephen for joining me on the program. Once again, you can find all the links we mentioned in our show notes, which can be found at productivityist.com slash podcast 464, or by looking at the podcast app you're using right now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever. And you can definitely get to what we talked about right from your app. You can also subscribe to the podcast right from your app. And that way you can easily access the over 460 episodes in our archives, as well as make sure you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. And there's plenty to come. Also, another way to support the show is by checking out the sponsors, not only the ones you heard on the program today, but other sponsors. You can find them at productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors. And when you check out those sponsors, let them know that we sent you. That's it for now. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.